welcome to another episode of Block Talk presented by Theater in the Now. I'm your host as always, Michael Block. Now is the time to help us out, and there are so many ways you can. Subscribe, leave us a review, share your favorite episode, become a sponsor, or do all of the above. And as always, follow me on Instagram at MichaelBlockTalk, on Twitter, and visit theaterinthenow.com for latest news, reviews, and interviews. Sit back and strap in. We're about to go on a wild ride that's going to be one hell of a time. I'm chatting with a drag artist with one of the greatest names in the biz. It's DC Zone. <laughs> hell of a time. How are you? I am doing well. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I'm honored to have you. I'm um, chuckling because of that intro. That's a good. That's the best intro I've ever gotten. So listen. Um, the first time I saw your name written down, I was like, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> and then um, our mutual friend uh, Scout Sonner told me what it was. I was like, oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, a lot of Absolutely people have that. Absolutely brilliant. A lot of people have that. They see the spelling and they're like, what is that? And right. And, you, and even um, when you try to put it on a computer, you know, for a poster that you, I fucked up. Um, <laughs> the, the computer doesn't even know what the wrong spelling, the right spelling is supposed to be either. So God, I'll do better editing next time. <laughs> You're good. You're good. But yeah, I'm very excited to uh, chat with you. Absolutely. How, how, how's too. life been so far in this uh, quarantine? So what are, I don't even know what month we're in of quarantine at this point. Every, time. I lost count. Time has disappeared from yeah. existence. Um, it's been a roller coaster for me. You know, I was living by myself for a while in the beginning, probably for like the first five months. And then mm-hmm. was already before the pandemic hit interested in moving in with someone because rent in dc is not cheap and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i do did not want to be paying as much as i was and so i found a a friend who was also looking to move uh and so we moved in august um and then two weeks later we moved again because we had water damage that was like irreversible oh no so when you fully i mean it was all within the same building complex but it is stressful to have to pack and unpack all of your shit for Absolutely. It, twice in a whole month. So, um, but since then it's been good. I mean, I, I really enjoy having another human being around. Mm-hmm. Uh, my roommate has a cat named Jolene who I am secretly winning over. Don't tell them. Uh, but I love, I love the cat. I love the, the human to human interaction that I get yeah. on a daily basis. <laughs> Yeah, I totally understand that. I mean, I've been in my apartment for going on seven years now. Yeah. Um, love it. But I'm now at the point where I'm the opposite. I'm like, I don't want roommates. I want to yeah. live on my own. I want, I, I need my space. Uh, yeah, um, I get that. I, I luckily have like the master suite. So I get to have my own space. I have my own bathroom. Yep, yep. I don't need to see my roommates if I don't want to. I have my own TV. It's great. Um, so those first couple months of quarantine, I was like, we're sticking in we're, we're staying inside we're not we're not moving yeah um but i also uh, i think like the very end of march got covid i believe that's when the timeline works out sure because i never got tested or anything but i was sick and i was like yeah. you know what thank god i was staying in my room because that that would have been dangerous have you gotten the antibody test do you like- I did and i got the i got the antibody test officially in september and that came out positive so so it was confirmed it was confirmed, but I do know someone who also had a antibody test that was positive and 
got it again. So we don't really know what's going on. There is there is no certainty when it comes None to whatsoever. the science. So why not err on the side of caution? That's what I exactly, say. Exactly, exactly. Well, I'm excited to learn a little bit about you. And we're going to yes. start from the very beginning. Oh, Where God. are you from? <laughs> uh, I am from Tucson, Arizona. I'm a desert rat. Nice. Uh, we're, we're, we stand in Arizona now that they they went blue. Yes, we flipped. I actually am still voting in Arizona because yes. of absentee ballot things with the military. And mm. uh, so my county, Pima County, was one of the biggest blue counties in Arizona and had like, I think it was almost, a, I think it was over 100,000 more votes for Biden That's than amazing. Trump. And I was like, okay, my little my little vote counted in that. Like, it was the first time where I really felt like, because you know, everyone's always like, does my vote really matter? Sure. You know, and it's like these kind of moments. And now that I'm a little bit older and, you know, digging deeper into the actual fucked up system, uh, you know, you kind of see the where things go. And I was like, really proud to like be a Pima County blue vote that helped flip the state. So that that's incredible. Fun. Yeah. What was like? life like as a little desert boy oh my um it was interesting because i grew up in a very conservative evangelical white community Mm -hmm. um i went to a christian school that my dad was the administrator at um so i can easily say it was a huge bubble a massive Mm -hmm. bubble you know um and then, yeah, so, I mean, growing up there, I, you know, you start to realize you're queer probably early, uh, mm. at least I did. It was probably about, like, sixth or seventh grade when I was like, yikes, these are some things that we're going to have to deal with. And um, so that was an interesting whole, like, twist on things. But I kind of just, like, buried that. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to deal with this. Uh, my religion's telling me this is not okay. So I'm just going to like chalk this up to my life struggle and we're going to give it to God and, uh, and kind of just like went through life and, uh, you know, got through high school, decided to make this switch into the military. So that was interesting, but Arizona is hot. It's, it's a dry heat. Yeah. And, and anyone that has lived there will tell you, and a lot of people are like, oh, dry heat, what is that? It doesn't make sense. No, no, no. It's 120 degrees out there. It's horrifying. But I will say, when you step into the shade, there is no humidity. So it goes down by like 30 degrees. You can be out in the middle of the summer. It's 120 degrees. As long as you've got an umbrella over you, you're fine. Yeah. Humidity is the, is, is the worst thing ever. I hate it. Yeah, I the the first and only time I've ever been landlocked, um, I went to Vegas yep. for a little vacation. Um, I had a bloody nose the entire week. It's yeah, the elevation, the dryness, it's everything. And and I also prior to that, I was having a bit of a um, an odd health issue where I couldn't hear out of my ear. It was weird. And then all of a sudden, I go to Vegas with my mom for this great vacation to go see Queen and Adam Lambert, and the ear problem's gone. I was like, it just took me going to dry heat to fix this. I mean, and I was yeah. like, do I have to move? Do I have to leave New York? Like, what's going to happen? Um, Tons of people move out to the West because of uh, allergy issues. You yeah. know? And I didn't even know I had allergies until I moved East. Right. 
and then found out I'm allergic to pretty much everything possible oh, no. outside, except for cats. I'm not allergic to cats. That's so. good. Uh, that's that's lucky. That's one thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's crazy because again with the with the COVID thing, I thought it was allergies when I first got sick. It's like mm-hmm. I'm prone to allergies, and it was about that time when the pollen's coming, the trees are coming, changing. Yep. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't the mm-hmm. pollen. That's rough. So let's talk about you entering the military. Ugh, how, yes. how, how did that come about? Um, so that came about in a lot of ways. I think there was a lot of pressure from my community that I grew up in, um, and, you know, which was basically every year we had like one or two people graduating and going to a service academy. And so I was, and they would hold this big ceremony, this big like chapel service for the specific person. They would bring in like retired veterans and uh, sometimes senators and stuff. And they would have these people and they'd have like a big presentation. They'd get their appointment. They'd have a standing ovation. So I kind of internalized this as like, this is the pinnacle of success within my Mm -hmm. community. Um, And so I started looking into different service academies. Uh, I am not a fighter whatsoever and so the desire to go overseas and fight wars was not there and so i started looking into the coast guard which is a much more humanitarian service i mean Mm -hmm. the the literal definition is like you're saving lives as opposed to taking them uh and so with that pressure of wanting especially because i'm hiding the side of myself right i'm like running from the queer side i don't want anyone to know that i'm dealing with this and so i really needed to project this identity to everyone that like, I am a successful person. You know, I was like student body president of the school, going to a service academy, you know, just literally like your typical, I I got an article written at one point. I like got an interview from some newspaper or something before I graduated and I like literally reread it not that long ago. And I was just like, who was I back then? (laughs) Like the things that I was saying and how, it's just, it's interesting to, to read back. But yeah, so I, that was what caused that decision. Um, and then I did a year at a, at a military college in Alabama, which was kind of a prep year before actually going to the Coast Guard Academy. And that has what has led me to where I am today. Nice. That's so interesting because that, for me, like that never would have ever crossed my mind as a thing to do. Like, yeah, I grew up in New Jersey. It was all about going to college and fulfilling your dreams. Yep. Um, we had a couple people go through the military, but it wasn't the thing to do right um did you want to do anything else or or did you so i mean as a kid i like when people asked you like what do you want to be when you grow up um my answer was always i want to be a movie director like i Mm -hmm. was that was like my thing um i would force my younger brothers to like be in films that i directed and force my mom to record it with like the camcorder yeah (laughs) and um had this creative desire from like an early age. Uh, But I think that that desire got thwarted um, when I started to realize like going into the arts could potentially expose this thing. Mm -hmm. And I want to be viewed a certain way. And so I'm gonna, you know, shut that down and I'm gonna go do this like service oriented lifestyle. Um, which I'm still, I mean, I'm still in the Coast Guard today. I'm active duty right now. I'm working at uh, Coast Guard headquarters in DC. Nice. Yeah, it's a, it's a desk job, but I love it. 
because it's a desk job. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I can imagine. Now, it must be a very interesting time to be in the Coast Guard with the changing of the guards. Yes, what, yes. What can you talk about? Uh, well, I am going to talk about whatever because it's at a point <laughs> where I'm like, fuck it. Um, yeah. and, and so I am basically my a short version of my journey past. So it's the Coast Guard Academy is basically like West Point for the Coast Guard. So you sure. go, it's a four-year college. You, you graduate with a degree and then you also graduate with a commission as an officer. Um, and so my first duty station was on a boat. Uh, I went down to Portsmouth, Virginia, and I was on a 270-foot boat with 100 other people, and we would go out for three months at a time and do patrols. Um, mm -hmm. So two years of that, so you're kind of like in and out of being in like a society of people. Um, so that was really interesting because I was just coming out of the closet when I graduated and then thrown into this kind of like small world um, and then trying to figure out how to be authentic, but also not sacrifice my safety because the problem that you run into when you go to these like smaller units is it takes one person to be homophobic or transphobic sure. for the entire uh, like culture to be toxic. And I immediately noticed some transphobia when I walked on board uh, and was like, okay, I'm not going to say anything about my life. Like, I'm just going right. to do my job and, and move on. Um, thankfully that person left, uh, a year into me being there. So by the second year, I was starting to be able to open up a little bit more to some of the people that I trusted. Um, so then fast forward, my next job is this one in DC. And as I was making that transition, I started, you know, becoming more open, becoming more bold about who I was. Uh, at one point I was dating someone at the time. And like when we got home from a patrol, they met me on the pier and we like kissed in front of a bunch of people, which was like mm -hmm. a huge, huge moment for me because it was like a public declaration of who I was at the time and uh, terrifying. I like did it, got my stuff and left. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I do not want to be around people. I don't want to hear what they have to say. Um, so then I got involved with a small group of people who were, kind of in the same frame of mind where we, we looked at the Coast Guard and we were like, there is nothing for us here. Um, and so we got together and we started um, Coast Guard Spectrum, which is the first and only anti-racist queer affinity group in any service. And so it's That's a group awesome. of people that are dedicated to advocating for those who don't have a voice. Um, and so I've been heavily involved in kind of the behind the scenes stuff on queer rights in the military and queer rights mm -hmm. in the Coast Guard. Um, and it is, it's rough. It is rough. And it's especially rough for transgender members um, right now. Um, you know, the infamous tweet that happened um, really changed a lot. The policy at that time before the tweet was, was pretty inclusive. Um, there were obviously some things that needed to be changed, but um, you know, transgender members at that time could come out tell their supervisors this is who they are and then they would get a meeting with multiple doctors to figure out what sort of transition if any was needed and for in order for them to like serve in the capacity that they right. deserve to be able to serve in uh the tweet happened and within the next six months 
a new policy came down that basically said like anyone who was out before this certain date is exempt, but everyone from this point forward, um, you know, you can come out as trans, but you have to serve in the uniform under your assigned birth gender, um, which is just, it's terrifying and it's horrible. Um, And so we're, I mean, I, one of the biggest reasons we don't have to get deep into politics, but one of the biggest reasons that, and I'm not going to sit here and say that one administration is a savior or anything like that, but I at least know that with a change, there is going to be less red tape for us to be able to hold people accountable and ensure that everyone is able to serve and has been serving, but has the resources and the, the tools needed in order to just be their best selves and live authentically and not have to completely put on a fucking face when they put the uniform on, yeah. you know? So very excited about things moving forward. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, there's a lot of hope and, and that's right now in the, these trying times, that's all we can literally hope for right now. So I'm excited that that sounds really amazing. Yeah. Now being a part of the Coast Guard, when did drag enter your life? Um, so drag, it, well, the first time I was ever exposed to drag was when I was in P- Portsmouth. I had <clears throat> um, started going out. I was starting to be more active in the queer scene. There were like two gay bars in Virginia Beach um, and met some people through networking there just kind of like meeting people and Mm -hmm. one of the gay bars rainbow cactus which i thought was hilarious because the first gay bar i ever went to was called rainbow cactus and i'm like i am a (laughs) rainbow cactus i'm from the desert like this is my bar um the first the first drag i ever saw was at that bar and i just remember seeing it and being like this is cool this is fun um but not ever being like this is something that i want to do yeah you know and then I moved to DC, uh, a, a close friend of mine who I had met in Virginia Beach, who is had moved to DC a year before that, Cake, AKA John Errol Marsh, mm-hmm. also the person that I am currently hosting our podcast with. Um, so a super close friend of mine had moved there a year before um, and when had started getting into the drag scene there because um, they were like, when you watch them dance on the dance floor as just like a human being, you were like, this person needs to be performing. Yeah, like, this absolutely. person is a star in the making and we need to see this happen. And so um, I actually drove up for their very first debut performance. I was still living in Virginia beach at the time, but I drove up with a few friends and we, we were there while she got ready before the show. I worked my ass off to get her into the tights that, she had because you know and it was a slow process because she just didn't really know what it all entailed none of us did we're all just like randomly just be like okay what else do you need um so i was there for that and was like this is super fun but i again was just like i like supporting this but i just never it never crossed my mind that like this is something that i should do uh and then at the end of my time on my boat uh, um cake was like hey we're gonna be throwing this birthday party for our friend, our mutual friend, and we, we want it to be like an outdoor drag show. And I was like, and, and she was like, everyone can wear wigs. And I was like, well, what if we just have a couple people that have never done drag surprise Philip, be in full drag and do a performance. 
And Cake was like, I love that idea. And so it was myself, my brother, <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, my brother, Josh, who is two years younger than me, also queer. Um, and my closest friend, Amanda, uh, and we went over to people's houses. They did our faces. They put us in pads. I looked like a 40-year-old woman. Uh, <laughs> and, and so I got there, but I was like in the fantasy, and, and I performed. And that was the first time I had ever put myself out there like that in, in that sort of a performance. Sure. Um, and I was just like, okay, this is pretty fun. This is like super fun. But I also was like, I'm not, I don't even live in DC. I don't even know if I'm going to be, I didn't know where I was going to be living at that time because they hadn't told me yet. And so I was just kind of like, that was fun. That was cool. Um, And didn't think really too much past that um, until I finally got word that I was moving to DC. And so at one point I was like, "Eh, maybe I'll just like learn the makeup, you know, just for fun. And so I, uh, I went over to, uh, another drag queen's house, Squealia, who's an incredible drag queen. Um, mm-hmm. One of the best makeup artists I've ever been around. And she kind of like did the face for me while trying to explain, but you know, you're not absorbing anything. You're just like, Ooh, I look good. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and so we put a wig on, we put, uh, I got a little look on and we're like, Oh, there's a show out in town right now. Let's go to it. And I was like, okay, sounds good. So we get to the show and I walk through the door, and this is a show hosted by Desiree, who I know you know. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, and Desiree immediately comes up to me and goes, you're doing a number. Get a song ready. And I'm like, oh, God. Oh, boy. Um, and so I, like, found one of, like, the three songs that I knew the lyrics to fully. And, um, I mean, that's, that was the night, I think, that everything kind of changed because I got up there and – performed in because like the thing is the brunch that i did was all people that i knew so there was no right. risk right there's real not not any real risk this show i knew no one in the audience besides like two people and you know i am performed and i had a blast and people enjoyed it somewhat and i was like oh god this is like a thing now okay now did you have a drag name when you were introduced so that's actually a great story because <laughs> that's how this name came about um i was like i don't have a drag name and that was of course the first thing she comes up and she goes like literally slams like have you seen the snl skit with uh with uh where like they're slamming the microphone in people's faces i can't remember bill Hader, bill Hader playing like that's what it was like yeah yeah yeah, she like puts the microphone in my face like what's your name and i'm like so i thought about it i had kind of thought about it before and i was trying to come up with some like funny uh like religious play on words and i was like my name's helga or because i was thinking like hell goer which is just so bad it's so bad you can you don't have to act like it's not it's terrible and desiree was like what oh uh please welcome to the stage heller and i was just like okay (laughs) so then i got up and did this performed loved it and then squealia came up to me afterwards and was like you know I was thinking about it. You should maybe have this be your name and then have your last time be the time and you could be hell of a time. And I was like, I guess yeah. that's it. Like that's what yeah. we need to do. Yeah. And it, it's, it's a, it's a great pun. It, it, I really, it, it is you. I feel like you can't not have a hell of a time watching you perform. I think that it, I have, 
I didn't, I don't think I realized fully at the time how much it was like a perfect name for me. Yeah. Cause I mean, when you first start out in drag, no one knows who they are. No. It's not, not I don't think it's really possible unless you're like one of those people that has been working on your face for like five years before you publicly come out. Like it's, you just like, you find yourself on the stage. Um, and so at the time I was like, yeah, this is fun. But then I also was like, now I look back and I'm like, I could not think of a different name that I would have. You Absolutely. Know? And, and you, when you first went out, I'm assuming it was full female fantasy. It was full female fantasy. Um, the second time when Squealia painted me, I had definitely lost like 20 years, which was great because as much <laughs> as, as much as playing an old cougar is fun for a night it is not who I am. So, uh, so yeah, it was full female fantasy for, for a few times actually. Um, yeah, how, and obviously how, that's shifted. Yeah, I mean, well, let, let, let's talk about that. How would you describe Heller in three words? Three words. Um, fuck your childhood <laughs> is how I All would right, describe I'm, I'm it. That. Or maybe genderless freak show. I don't know. Like I love it, that. Yeah, because it, it's drag race has given us this mainstream drag. And for those who are not in our nightlife bubble, what you see on TV is what you believe drag to be. But you're someone who says, screw that. And you offer a different style of drag, which is equally valid and sometimes better than what a drag race queen would do. So how, how did you decide to take that turn and do this genderless drag? That's a great question. Um, Oh, so there was a defining moment in, in the very first show that I did. Um, and I was at this show and I had done my first number in female drag. I did, um, oh God, I can't even think of this song now. Some, some pretty cliche drag song. Mm-hmm. And then I switched into my second look because it was a two number show and it was a more androgynous look and I was doing a more androgynous number. And um, I remember I, I was announced and I walked out and I was not wearing tights. It was an active choice not to wear tights right. um, because this was, a, I wanted to do a little gender fuck. Um, and, and the host called me out in front of everyone and was like, are you not wearing tights? And it completely took me out of the moment. Um, But I also remember thinking like, correct, I am not wearing tights. Um, And it was projected as kind of like a slight, I think, or or joking. I think it was a joking slight. Um, But for me, I was like, that was it. I was like, I'm not following rules. And, and I think part of it also comes from my upbringing, Christianity versus, and then straight into the military. I have always had like a set of defined rules that have said, this is right this is wrong. There is no wiggle room. And so I think after that, I was kind of just like, fuck all of this. I am just going to do whatever the fuck I want to do. I am going to make sure that I am having fun because what's the fucking point if I'm not having fun? Um, And it quickly went from what it was in the beginning to where it is now, which is just like, uh, I just kind of go with what I feel and like how I'm feeling. And, and I also started recognizing like the pronouns that people were using to try to describe me in drag, like just 
literally just didn't feel right. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, I would have people say like, she, and I was like that, no, that's like, I, that just feels very disconnected. And then I would have some people say he, and that was like, no, that's very disconnected. Um, and so I think it was probably about six or seven, maybe like seven or eight months in, it was, I started like asking to be called they, them using they, them pronouns and drag. Mm -hmm. And it felt, I mean, it was just like, I don't know. I can't describe it other than the fact that it just, everything felt right when I was in this yeah. genderless drag using they, them pronouns. It was like, okay, yeah, I, this is, this is me. This is my comfortable zone in this, in this scene. So did, did you experience any pushback by either other queens on the scene or by audiences? Um, Cause I feel like in New York, we have Brooklyn drag and that's mm -hmm. where you can do whatever you want. And the audience knows that's what's going to happen. I feel like the few times that I've gone to DC, it's, it's what, if, if you're not at a Desiree show, it's going to be the standard practice drag. It's interesting because um, I'm very, I'm fair. I'm pretty new in the scene. Um, you know, I had only been doing drag really officially since last summer. And obviously like around March, it, everything has like closed down. So sure. There's only like a seven or eight month span where I was like actively performing at venues. Um, the DC scene is interesting because it is, uh, there is kind of like two, it's kind of like dualistic where you have like the older, more experienced like mainstream queens and then you have like the queerdo scene. Right. Um, and as I started, <clears throat> being more comfortable in what my drag was taking the form of, I definitely started spending much more time with like the queerdo scene and doing weird drag and finding people that also did weird drag. Um, and that scene has grown very large. Um, you know, obviously this year, I don't know how much, I don't think you should put much stock into the DC drag awards personally, but, <laughs> um, but the top drag King was magic Dyke, who is like, one of my closest friends, also an incredible gender fuck drag artist and Desiree was drag queen. So like, right. obviously this less mainstream scene is, has a presence. Right. Um, and I just think, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's an interesting time to be in DC drag because I feel like it's kind of the same thing on both sides at times where it's like, you know, others telling the other person that they're more valid than the other person. Right. And that also applies to society. Um, so I just think like the minute that you, tr that you start to put yourself above others, you are losing any sort of genuineness, any sort of authenticity with your art. Um, and it's probably coming from a place of insecurity. Sure. So who were some of the first people that helped you out on your drag journey? Um, I've said a couple of the names. So like, obviously cake is like the person who introduced me to drag. Um, and, and kind of fostered that interest. Um, Desiree was like the first person. Desiree was the one that forced me to perform that one night mm -hmm. and also has given me a lot of opportunities with their drag shows because obviously you know, she works really hard to create spaces for people that may not get booked at other places. Um, 
Squealia is the person that like basically gave me the basic skills and has also just been a supporter. Um, yeah, and I would say those are kind of like the main people that really kind of pushed me in a direction that I needed to go. Um, I, I also have a friend who used to live in DC. Um, their drag name is Lavender Scare. Um, and they are now actually in a poetry program at Virginia Tech. So they're like in Blacksburg, Virginia and, and doing some drag stuff, but not a lot. And they have been one of the people that I will literally, anytime I make a mix, anytime I have an idea, I will send that to them and be like, yeah. what do you think? You know, because I really value um, their very critical thinking mind that is able to kind of take the things that I've done and like unpack them, but also be always supportive. So those are probably like the main people that have really kind of, and I'm sure I'm forgetting people and I'm sorry for anyone that I'm forgetting, but yeah. Now I, me being slightly like DC adjacent um, sure. uh, with, uh, in, in the scene, I feel like the first time that I started to find out who you are was with sponge bath. Sponge bath. Ugh. How did that come to be? And for the listeners who are not familiar Tell us about this show. Oh, so I feel like I should have just retired afterwards. Like <laughs> it was, it was probably, I don't know if I can point to a more perfect night of my entire existence. Um, so I did SpongeBob drag for the first time at a competition hosted by Desiree Dick called Slay Them, which is a mm -hmm. one, it's a one night competition with between like six ish people and you do your first number. And then if you get enough votes, like people put like slips of paper in the right. things. And if you get enough votes, then you come back for the finale, which is like a, a lip sync off between the best that were voted that night. Um, and so I decided for this thing, I was just going to go full weird and do this entire SpongeBob act. And so I painted my entire face and body. I was like this creepy SpongeBob thing. Um, and I basically like could deconstructed an episode and put songs into the episode that made sense that went with the theme and performed this. And I mean, it was like a wild moment where I was like, say, I was, there was the line from one of the shows where Patrick's telling SpongeBob, pinky out, SpongeBob, pinky. And I like raised my pinky. Everyone in the audience raised their pinkies. And I had this <laughs> like aha moment where I was like, oh, this is what I want to do forever. I just want to do this. Like, I just want to like do this shit all the time. Um, and then I ended up getting enough votes to be in the final lip sync. And I had a second SpongeBob look planned with this long, yellow wig but what i did is i brought this i have a spongebob blanket i'm actually wearing it around my legs now because my <laughs> house is cold and i had this blanket around my head and i walked out on stage so all i had all that people could see was the same face that i had had and yeah. the song was um what i don't what's the one that i don't care i love it um why, why I pop. yes i kind of pop and so i waited I waited, everyone else did the reveals for like within the first 20 seconds and I waited until the second and I'm a 90s bitch and then I whipped the blanket off and I had hamburger tits and this long yellow wig and I was wearing basically just like a brown jock strap with a tie. So it was like this really wild 
probably not okay in the bar uh, <laughs> outfit. And everyone went crazy. And so I ended up, you know, getting the, they, they do the final vote by like scream count. So I ended up winning that um, and kind of like going, okay, SpongeBob drag, kind of like this thing, kind of want to do this. And uh, so then I did a second performance months later with my, my, my friend and Patrick co-star Geneva Confection. Um, and we did that at trade. It was like at an open mic performance and we did, um, like a dirty dancing remix sort of thing with SpongeBob and Patrick from the scene where they're like taking care of a young little shell as like mm -hmm. a child. And, and when we did the thing where I jumped up and, and she caught me and spun me around, I mean, people just like lost their fucking minds. Right. Um, and so, so I'm like recognizing that like I have found something that people really like to watch and see because we're all from this time period where like SpongeBob was most likely some somewhere in your life growing yeah. up. Um, and, and so I started thinking like, I want to do like a production. Like I want to do like a full on complete SpongeBob drag show. And so kind of put this away. I was like, I, I'll figure out a time to do this when it's, when it's applicable. And I had someone um, from JR's, which is a bar around here, reach out to me, Jesse Jackson, who's like the, he was at that time, I think, newly appointed as like the events manager. Mm -hmm. Kind of reached out to me and was like, hey, you know, would, would you be interested in doing some sort of a show? And I was like, I am not going to just throw SpongeBob on the table because I want to actually be taken seriously. Right. <laughs> so, so I was like, yeah, I would love that. Like, what would, what would you have in mind? And he goes, no, I want you to like run this. And I was like, are you sure? <laughs> Do I need to ask a third time before I tell you what's in my head? <laughs> okay. Uh, well, here it is. And I laid out my idea and he was like, all right, let's do it. And I was just like, wait, what? Like you, you're going to go for this. And so that was probably in like November of last year. So that was about a year ago and we were planning it for, uh, we were planning it for February. Mm -hmm. And so we had months to plan this thing. Um, and so I started compiling a list of people that I was like, who would, I, I had ideas for which episodes I wanted to use and I had characters sure. in mind. And so I was like, who do I want to play these characters? And so I started reaching out to some people and kind of pitching this idea like, hey, I already have a yes from a place. So this is going to happen. I want to know if you want to be involved in this. Um, and got this literal all-star cast of performers together. Like, yeah. like you want to take some of the best performers in DC, Magic Dyke, Ricky Rose, Jack's Knife Complex, uh, Citrine, Devoid. These people that are just like incredible. Uh, there's others too. Uh, Hunter Paris Card, Cartier, uh, Bratwurst, Geneva. Like, it's just like this. Yeah. Ugh, so it was like a dream come true. Of like, how did these people agree to this? But thank you. Um, and so we, so I spent a lot of time making these mixes um, and we had six numbers uh, and, and we had a couple rehearsals and um, got to the actual event and basically the outline was, so it's like, we had like nine characters. Everyone did their own version of that character, but still had like their drag stamp on it. Sure. Um, and so then we did like the first three numbers, people were just eating it up. And then we took a break at halftime. We did um, a costume contest, which people actually like went all out for, dressed up in these ridiculously amazing Nickelodeon themed costumes. That's and awesome. The, and the winners had to 
in order to receive their prize, they had to get slime dumped on them in front of everybody. <laughs> and so we had like this whole thing where I was like, I had like made this slime and we like dumped it on the winners. And it was like, so fun. Obviously this was pre COVID. Uh, right. And, and then we finished it out with the last three numbers and the finale, which was like all of us on stage doing the, the song from the band geeks episode. And it was just like, I literally felt like it was a dream because like as a show producer, that was the first show that I had like fully produced and hosted. And you just get like nervous that everything's going to go wrong and, and you can end up not enjoying it. And that just didn't happen with this. Like everyone just showed up. They looked incredible. They performed everything great. And I was literally on the production or the numbers that I wasn't involved in. I just like stepped back and watched and was just like, this is a fucking dream. This is a dream come true. Um, and, and like I said, I should have just retired then because it's like, you, you can't really, it's only downhill from that point on. Um, and that was like the end of February. So literally like the, one of the last shows that happened before where we exist now. Yeah. Well, and- <laughs> with all this time away, have you had any other ideas for another version of SpongeBob show or other cartoons or other fandoms? Yeah. So, um, I absolutely want to do another sponge bath, um, but I, I intentionally wanted to take a pretty big hiatus from it mm-hmm. uh, because at, while I love doing it and it's like so close to me and what I grew up with and stuff, I also want to have an identity outside of SpongeBob. Right. Um, <laughs> I had a moment where in quarantine, I got a grinder notification and I opened it up and it just said, OMG, SpongeBob question mark. Oh my God. And I literally almost threw my fucking phone against the wall. I was like, <laughs> I don't have any pictures on my grinder profile that would allude to the fact that I do this drag. And uh, I was just like, this, this is a sign. Yeah. Uh, so so I, I definitely want to do another one. I want to do uh, another cast with some of the same characters, some different characters, um, but I don't want to do it virtually. Right. And it's not that I don't believe in virtual drag but i just think like it's so much work and i want to make sure that it d- gets an audience that it deserves so if that's in a couple of years sure. it's in a couple of years you know but uh i'm currently um in the in the planning stages of hosting a video game drag show virtual that's nice. going to happen in december uh, myself and a friend are are kind of co-running it um and yeah it's all video game themed um, so like literally as long as it has some slight tie to a video game, like that's, that's the only creative direction we've given the performers. It's a, literally an all-star cast as well. Um, so super excited about that. And I have done some other cartoon, um, drag stuff while in quarantine. Cause what I've found is with these virtual shows, um, I could do more with production. Right. Um, you know, I did like a Rick and Morty, uh, I did a Rick and Morty number where I literally did all three characters and then just like reenacted a scene and, and did a song that was involved in it. And that's the kind of stuff that I just couldn't do with in-person drag. Cause you can't sure. like, you can't switch from Rick to Morty in one, you know, behind the scenes, you know what I mean? So um, definitely like I have found some very positive things from switching into a like 100% virtual realm um, some complications too, but you know, that's part of the learning process. Absolutely. Well, you, you were lucky to have JRs reach out to you for this show. 
But um, DC has been plagued with losing queer spaces and performance venues recently. Yeah. Why and how can we prevent that going forward? Oh, that's that's a big question. Um, you know, I think... I, I don't know if I have all of the, because again, I'm, I've only been in the city for a year and a half. So I know that there's sure. a lot of deep history rooted in a lot of these spaces. Um, but I also think, um, you know, how we can prevent spaces from closing in the future is really focusing on, you know, including all types of performance, you know, and, and, and focusing on, like, because the, the, the audience that is watching these shows, they want to see everything. They don't want to just see one version. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, I really think it's going to take a concentrated effort to figuring out ways we can be safe about doing it. Because that's the problem, too, is just like a lot of these venues had operated a certain way for so long and had never really thought about the idea of having an ext- extended closure, you know, right. and, and, that's not their fault. No, I don't think anyone was prepared. Um, so it's, it has been a big plague and I know we're trying to move through that. And it, there's been a lot of sadness with some of these places that have closed. Um, and also a lot of just hardship because a lot of people have lost their jobs because of it and, sure. you know, are just trying to make ends meet. Uh, and, and I know that's been a constant theme for a lot of people in, in this pandemic time. So I just think like, moving forward um i I can't i don't think it will hurt to have greater collaboration with the artists Mm -hmm. um and and there are some examples of places that are doing that really well um and i think it's i I only think it benefits both parties absolutely so we're gonna play our first game okay for that i love games i'm gonna give you two options you're gonna pick the one you pick okay first up work or play play cats do i have to dogs. give a re- do i give a reason or if you oh, want okay. to if you well, it's up to you cats or dogs cats wait i have to say this one switched recently i okay. was like i'm always a dog person cats ugh, they just like do their own thing i'm allergic to dogs number one number two the cat that i now live with is like a dog she comes up to me she cuddles with me that's all that's i need fun. that's all i want so i'm a cat i'm getting a cat next year at some point so nice yeah Fast or furious? Furious. Dressed up or dressed down? Dressed up. Leather or lace? Lace. Avengers or Justice League? Avengers. Chewbacca or Jar Jar Binks? Jar Jar motherfucking Binks, and I know that that's a hot take, and I don't give a shit. <laughs> Darth Vader or Darth Maul? Darth Maul. Luke Skywalker or Han Solo? I'll go with Han. Prequel trilogy or new trilogy? Uh, absolutely prequel trilogy. All right. Yeah. All right. So you are a Star Wars stan? Oh, I, I, hmm. I absolutely. To a point. Okay, um, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Well, will, when things are open and better, will you be going to uh, Disney World to stay at the Star Wars Hotel? Probably not, because I, huh, I just have a, I have issues with giving as much money as people give to 
things like Disney at the same, mm-hmm. you know, they, they produce some good things, you know, Pixar, yeah. I think is really working hard to do a good job with, I just watched a documentary on kind of behind the scenes with Pixar. They're like really taking it into consideration, like gender distribution on who gets lines and things like that. So they're like starting yeah. to move in that direction, but I mean, it's a big corporation and I struggle with these big corporations. So I don't think I'll go stay at the hotel, but I cannot promise that I won't go visit the attractions. <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean, we'll see. I have um, a reservation to go to Disney at the end of March. We'll see Still if that pans out. We'll yeah. See. We'll see. So you just started a brand new podcast with your co-host cake called Sunday service. Tell us yep. about it. So this was something that we, we've been working on getting this launched since pretty much the beginning of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of realized that podcasting was something that I was interested in. Um, I'm a longtime listener of Sloppy, Sloppy Seconds with uh, Big Dipper and Meatball, which is a mm-hmm. podcast that does a lot of interviews with people. And I found it very intriguing to kind of just like listen to this a lot. And um, I'm also just like a sucker for a good conversation. And so reached out to Cake because we have a good relationship and I think we have a good dynamic. And so I was like, hey, is this something that you'd be interested in? And she was like, yes, I would. And so we kind of started going through the planning stages and both of us come from the church. We both grew up in the church. We both have our own versions of deconstructing religion and finding our own version of truth and whatever works for us. Uh, And so we kind of use that excuse me, we kind of use that as a cornerstone for like, what do we want this to look like? Um, So we called it Sunday service because, you know, we used to go to Sunday service every Sunday. And so we kind of wanted to do this weekly thing where we talk with predominantly artists and and with a focus on queer art about what makes them tick, where they come from, their backgrounds, similar to kind of what you do. and so we, we finally got this thing off the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is our debut month. We have incredible people that we've talked to this month and we have some more in the, in the works. Um, and so it's super fun because like, no matter what happens with how many people listen or whatever, already the conversations that I've had with the people that we've talked with have been inspiring. Um, yeah. There have been some healing moments between people on the show Um, There have just been, and and I just love hearing from people on like what gets them going because everybody's fucking different and everybody, you know, everybody has their own story and that's, those stories deserve to be heard. Um, And so, yeah, that's, it's super fun. I'm, I'm enjoying the process. It's a lot of work. Didn't expect it to be as much work as it is, but I, I find it enjoyable. It's an enjoyable work. So what can the audience expect in the next couple episodes? I, I listened to the first two. Yeah. Um, it's, it's fun. It, you it two is have fun. a really good dynamic. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good time. So this coming Sunday, we are having a conversation with Magic Dyke, who I mentioned earlier, who, mm-hmm. and, and this is complete honesty, I do not think I can speak about a better human being or a better performer. Um, they, they played Mr. Krabs in SpongeBath. Uh, we had a moment on stage where we sang to each other. 
Uh, and, and I don't think I've ever experienced another human being that is just, I get so much warmth from immediately from just being in their presence. Uh, and so that conversation is incredible. And then to finish out the month, we interviewed a friend of mine who some of you may have heard of hollow Eve, um, mm -hmm. who is an incredible drag artist. Um, <laughs> hollow and I have actually been recently, spending a lot of time FaceTiming each other and watching uh, K-pop videos, specifically, right. specifically Taemin. Um, if you don't know who Taemin is, you're wrong. Taemin is the single most talented artist I think I've ever seen in my entire life in terms of dance, song, depth of lyrics. And goddamn, they are just hot as fuck. And okay. like, I just want to, just want you to be here right now. <laughs> Do you, let, let, let's manifest. Do you Please. have a dream guest? A dream guest. Oh, yeah. Let's put this onto the energy or out into the universe, this energy out into the universe. Um, dream guest would be, oh, who would my dream guest be? I think I would really like to talk to Dusk. I don't know if you know who Dusk is, but um, they're a incredible drag artist um, that I see a lot of their stuff through kind of the Halloween channels. Um, I don't think I've ever seen someone emote um, and, and put themselves into a performance more mm -hmm. uh, and I have never met them. I have never talked. I have met, I have reached out a couple times on social media, just being like, I love your performance or whatever, you know, the kind of, the, the, the fan, the fangirling a little bit. Um, and would love to just sit down and like, listen to them open up about their mind because I just want to know what's inside. <laughs> nice. Well, maybe manifesting will happen. Can... Yes, please. So the universe. Yeah, let, let's make it happen. We're, we're going to do the Cameo Game Show. Okay. If you're not familiar with the website Cameo, you can book a celebrity to record a message for you or a loved one for a small price. But each celebrity has a different cost. In this game, you have to guess who costs more. Oh, my God. Okay. Um, we're going we're gonna to do um, some of your fandoms you enjoy. So the first um, two are from the Avatar mm. world. So first off, we have Michaela Murphy, who voices Toph, or Jack DeSena, who is Soka. I would say Michaela Murphy is higher priced. She is. $85. Yes. Okay. Jack DeSena is 70 Okay, okay, okay. Um, next, we have Dante Basco, who is Zuko, and Greg Baldwin, who is Iroh. Oh, for sure, Iroh, 100%. Only $60. Nope, Dante Basco is 75 well then, I'm about to invest, honey. <laughs> there you go. We're gonna I'm gonna give you a couple from Star Wars. Okay. Okay. Um, first off, we have Greg Grunsberg, who is Snap in um, the new trilogy, mm -hmm. or Dominic Monaghan, who was Belmont Kin. I would well, say Dominic. Yeah, Dominic. Yeah. Um, one hundred eighty dollars. Yep. Oh uh, my Greg, God, that's Greg a crime. Grunberg was ninety nine dollars. One hundred and eighty dollars to say hello. Yeah, well, he'll record anything you want. Anything. I, should we put that to the test? <laughs> <laughs> Next up, maybe this one will be fun for you, 
It's Daniel Logan, who was Boba Fett in the prequel trilogy, okay. or Ahmed Best, who is Jar Jar Binks. I gotta believe Ahmed Best is definitely more expensive. They're actually both a hundred bucks. Really? Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. I just feel like, in terms of voice, one is so much more iconic than right. the other that that would bump the price up, but apparently not. <laughs> they get to set their own fucking prices, so that's true. We got some pride and ego going on here. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And finally, how much can you get a Billy D. Williams cameo for? Oh God, um, the legendary. Would, yeah, the legendary. Uh, I would say hundred and fifty dollars. Double that. It's three hundred bucks. Oh, okay, Billy. <laughs> Billy, we get it. Okay, we loved you as Lando, but like. Yeah. No. Yeah. But no. No one's going to pay you that. I'm sure people do. Oh, fully. I mean, if you have not browsed Cameo, you can see they, they do have public videos that you can see that people purchased. And it's also funny because there are like some other people who are known for, like, you know, like Seinfeld, who will like start every single one of their cameos with the catchphrase and then right. say the same but thing. But these, these, this money goes mostly to other organizations, right? Or does it go to them? No, it goes to them. Okay, some of them because, will yeah, uh, but, uh, uh, do some donations for um, charities. Yeah. Like during the election, um, people like Kristen Bell and Jason Alexander, they went on especially for um, Joe Biden to donate to them. But no. I think every single celebrity should be sending this money elsewhere because God knows they have enough. Yeah. It, some, some of the people that um, grace have their presence on Cameo is quite fascinating. Yes. <laughs> Like Caitlyn Jenner, a thousand bucks. Oh, help. Help us. This is what's wrong with society. (laughs) I have have an open-ended question for you here. Okay. How far will you go in drag? How far will I go? Mm Mm-hmm. And there's no qualifications with that? No. What's your Um, limit? I feel like I... I'll answer that with like where I'm at now, but I obviously think that if I look back and go how much it's changed now, I, there is literally no limit, but mm-hmm. um, I will say I don't have the desire to staple myself. Okay. Um, and yeah, I would say stapling myself. And because I, I actually got to staple hollow, mm-hmm. um, which was a very interesting experience. Um, and it's just not so i just like, don't feel like putting staples in my skin that's fair but i don't know if that's going to be forever because i'm also the type of person that's like okay you're scared of that why okay do it anyway and at least try it so that way you can say i don't want to do it again you know so do you have aspirations for a show like dragula absolutely not um i think reality tv is one of the bane of existences of society um, okay. and, and i've also you know, I've gotten to know some people who've been on it and I just don't think it's, I don't think it's for me. Um, I, I understand people that do drag competitions, um, at least the long-standing ones. Obviously I did like a one-nighter, which right. is not comparable to like a week long, you know, a month, like a seven week long competition. Um, but I'm also like, and, and they say this on Dragula, but like, do they actually hold themselves to it? It's subjective, like blah, blah, blah. But yet they're still judging it. And so, sure. so it kind of, there's like a hypocrisy there to me with that. And I'm like, for me, 
I want to just do things that I enjoy. I want to do things that are fun. And why, like, how are you going to compare what I do to someone who does the splits, dances and twirls? Absolutely. You know, like they're just in such different worlds that like, what criteria are you going to use to be able to objectively look at mine versus someone else's and go, that is better. Like, come on. I mean, with that being said, when things reopen and let's say, an opportunity for an eight week uh, long-term competition comes up, would you do it? Um, I don't think so. Um, The only motivation that would ever make me say potentially yes is having something structured to push me to do things, um, you know, on a weekly basis, because I do know that that is one of the positives of some of these competitions is you know, as you're starting out or as you're kind of getting comfortable in your style of drag, it's, it's a, it forces you to like refine it quickly. Absolutely. Uh, but at the same time, I have decent internal motivation when it comes to that. And when I get an idea, I get excited about the idea. So I just want to do it. Uh, and so I would say I'm leaning towards probably not. That's fair. Yeah. So we were really grateful to have you part of our Alation Hall- uh, Halloween edition. Mm-hmm. That was Digital drag. Show. It was. It was fun. It was a really fun group of people. But how has digital drag changed the face of the game? Oh, it's, it's, it's radically changed everything. You know, um, it's heightened perfectionism mm-hmm. because, you know, I can sit there by myself filming you know, the perfect example is the Rick and Morty number that I did completely alone in my apartment dressed as a fart uh, and watch this playback over and over and be like, oh, I slightly messed up that syllable, you know? And so there's this level of perfection that you would never even think twice about in a live performance because you know the song as best as you do and you get up on stage and you do it. And if you fuck up, maybe someone notices, maybe not. Sure. Um, But with this, it's like I'm, I'm just 30, 40 takes of a scene just to get it right. And then you end up using the first scene, of course, because it's a, the best one that you did. Um, so that has been a, a challenge. Um, but I also think one of the kind of amazing parts about digital drag is like being able to collaborate with artists from all over the world that would have never happened you know, I mean, it, the cast of the Elation show is a perfect example. We had people from literally everywhere in the country, you know, doing this show all on Zoom together. And it was super fun. Um, and like that just was not thought about beforehand because everyone right. was focused on their their scene in their city. And now it's like, well, why can't I reach out to so-and-so who has, you know, a way bigger following than me? Um, and and have them be part of my show, you know? And so that's been a cool part, but I think it's, I don't think it's ever going to go away. Yeah. It's, it's, it's it's one of those things where it's like when we started the idea of doing elation, like, okay, we can do it. We'll see what happens. But in my mind, I was like, I want to set it up in a way that should things reopen, I can go to a bar and be like, I have a digital dance party show for you that I can now do live. I have all these people we've worked with. Let's make it happen. Yeah. So yeah. it, it's it's been interesting, but I, I I do worry that there's going to be these high expectations for audience members that are going to expect high quality drag live that you're never going to ever get. Uh, yeah, I I 
That's interesting because I, I just think that maybe that will be the case for like a month. Yeah. But I just think like in-person drag versus digital drag are just, again, kind of those things that aren't really comparable because it's it's, just so different. Yeah. It's so different. And and I found like there are a lot of performers who succeed Mm -hmm. in the digital realm that live in person may not be their thing. And they're probably going to be the ones maybe getting books a little more sometimes. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see how they adapt to the live audience. It's also interesting because I just like think like, I don't know what criteria I would use to be like, that's a good digital performance versus not. Cause it's, it's very similar to regular drag where I think we get judged on the resources that we have, which I think is not fair um, because, you know, you, a lot of times in, in person drag, you get the criticism of, Oh, that person's not polished. But like when you really deconstruct, what does that mean? A lot of times it comes down to the fact that, they may just not have as much money as the other right. person. And that is not an acceptable criteria to ever judge drag off of. And it's the same thing with digital drag. Like they may not have the editing skills. They may not have the resources to outsource the editing. They may not have exactly. the, the high tech camera, like all these things. Um, I just don't think they're fair. Um, and I'm just at the mindset, like if you want to create, create and let's, let's start just, or actually more like let's stop putting our own insecurities into a fucking meter and saying, I'm better than this person because my, you know, I just think it's like everyone needs to just take a fucking chill pill and be like, you know what? This is my drag. This is where I'm at. And it is enough. And it's going to be different tomorrow than it was yesterday. And it's going to be enough at all those points. Yeah. So we're going to play the fan favorite, everyone's favorite game, Tea Time. Tea time. We're going to spill some tea on some of your favorite friends, performers, colleagues, people you share the oh, stage with. God, I don't like this. And you, you can always just say you just love them all, but I'm sure yeah. you have some. Solo, solo, spill some tea. We're going to start off with my dear friend, Desiree Dick. I mean, Desiree has like fully propelled the queerdo scene to uh to to a place where like we have voices yeah um so i cannot say a ton negative about desiree uh but i will say she beat the shit out of me on stage uh a couple times because she had me in her performance for bushwig a couple uh in 2019 uh-huh. And it was this performance where she broke out of this box and she was dressed as this like intestine creature because it's Desiree. And she had to kill the three of us that were on stage. It was myself, Cake, and Logan Stone. And she had this fake fucking chainsaw. And she like tackled me to the fucking ground, which was fine. Like, listen, I played rugby. I can take a hit. Uh, and... But then she like came in after the fact because she kind of ran out of things to do because the number's long and she wanted to go finish us off and like <laughs> need me in the fucking balls hard. Oh my God. And I'm like laying on the ground trying to act because I'm an actor and I'm like trying to act dead. <laughs> but I'm like, I can't breathe. <laughs> So I will say that about her. She has no regard for other people's safety <laughs> when you're in her numbers. <laughs> Okay, next up, Geneva Confection. Ah, Geneva. Geneva, 
I mean, this is Patrick, right? Like she is, I literally just rewatched a, a live video that we did before we did our dirty dancing SpongeBob Patrick number. And it was just her doing improv for like 10 minutes and it was hilarious. Um, I mean, the negative thing I'll say about her is she got her fame from almost dying by, do, did you see the, did oh, you see I, the Oh, that made the rounds. I saw it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she like tried to do this thing that she always does at, at the brunches that she held and lay on the balcony thing and just slipped off and caught herself. Thank yeah. fucking God. That was um, terrifying. And... <laughs> And then, you know, propelled to stardom from your near-death experience. Like, is that what we have to do these days? We got to throw ourselves off balconies? So. There it is. There it is. <laughs> Next up, Hunter Paris Cartier. <laughs> Hunter. Hunter is like the same drag age as myself. And mm-hmm. we kind of came up in the scene together. Um, she also was in Sponge Bath. She was Kevin the Sea Cucumber. Um, which great casting, just great casting. <laughs> um, I mean, what I'll say about her tea time, she's part of the Valhalla family. That's enough tea as it <laughs> is. That whole fan. No, I'm just kidding. I love all of <laughs> I'm very familiar with the Venus. Yes, the Venus. Next up, Citrine. Citrine. Citrine is like if you pulled a Barbie and Ken doll out of the box and like forced them together in some fucked up surgery because she is like perfection when it comes to makeup. Yeah. And, and so you're like, okay, great. Citrine's perfectly beautiful, but I bet she's not that good of a performer. And then you go to a show and you're like, motherfucker, like what, who the fuck deserves to have this level of performance with this level of look Mm-hmm. Share the fucking wealth, Citrine. That's all I'll say about you. I'm saying I'm talking directly to you, Citrine. Share the motherfucking wealth. <laughs> yeah, she she's incredible. She really Next is. Next up, Ratwurst. <laughs> You're going through the whole SpongeBob cast, and I we're, love we're, we're going SpongeBob. Uh, Brat is this little demon child in drag, um, and I got to see her right before the pandemic hit. She does this show called Batball mm-hmm. um, and it's like her full production um, and the negative thing I'll say about her is like she had this weird like latex thing on that made her head look kind of bald or whatever and it just fully showed me like not everyone is cut out for bald drag like as <laughs> I will speak truth to that I'm a bald drag performer brought don't do it. It is not your lane. Stick to the wigs. Love you. <laughs> Love that. All right. Next up, Magic Dyke. Oh, magic. The name is magic because they mm-hmm. are magic. Um, Mr. Krabs. You can't, you just, I couldn't get enough of their crabs. I, I did not mean it that way. <laughs> wow. There's the, there's the tea. <laughs> I have nope. That is, do we do not need to edit that out because I think it's funny. But I want everyone listening to know that I meant that about the character. Uh, no, I, I I actually don't have anything negative to say about magic because, like I said earlier in the podcast, they are they're 
they're just one of the most genuine people I've ever met in my entire life. And I can yeah. say that without hesitation. Nice. Another incredible performer, Ricky Rosé. Ricky, I mean, not only are they an incredible performer, um, I've never seen a more uh, vocal activist for everything. Um, mm-hmm. They are, I, I, I think they are like, they have like seven different lives. Like they do everything possible. They do all these shows. Uh, they go to protests. They are so active on everything when it comes to making sure that everyone is treated with dignity. Um, they played Plankton in SpongeBath and, you know, just embodied this character and it was amazing. Um, I, the negative thing I'll say about Ricky is I, I did a, I used to do this thing with Hunter Paris Cartier where we did this thing called face swap. It was like for the first bit of quarantine and we would try to do other people's faces in like an hour and a half, which is a quick time frame, I will say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, and I got permission to do Ricky's face and they tried to explain to me how to do a fake beard because I, I'm, I have a little bit of facial hair right now because I'm working from home, but normally I shave daily because of my job. And so I had to put on a fake beard. And so I cut up this wig into like little pieces, like they told, looked like pubes and, you know, used whatever gorilla glue I had or whatever to glue it on my <laughs> face. And it looked like I just had pubes all over my face. So you know oh what, God. Ricky, get your fucking beard tutorial together, put it on YouTube so I can actually follow it because I don't want a pube face. Okay. There you go. There it is. Someone I got to see when I went to DC for Slay Them, Sweet Pickles. <laughs> oh, Sweet Pickles. I, I've, I can honestly say this, Sweet Pickles is the other half of my brain. Like, okay. I have never met another human that gets me more in drag. Um, and that culminated when we decided to do a number together at one of Desiree's shows uh, it was one of the oddball shows and I had come up with this crazy frog number. And if any of you mm-hmm. are familiar with crazy frog, this, oh, was, yes. like, this oh, was like yes. a, this was like an early two thousands, whatever. It was a movement. And, yeah, it was. And uh, we did a number together where I was this like meditating person trying to like get this crazy frog voice out of my head. <laughs> and they were this crazy frog character. And then we just like together started dancing to fucking crazy frog it was the best moment of my fucking life. I like, love it that. Was that sounds so crazy. Fun. Uh, I don't have anything negative to say about sweet pickles, <laughs> other than the fact that, like, I think they like pickles more than me, which <laughs> pisses me the fuck off because I'm the type of person that will eat an entire jar and then want to drink the juice. But I just saw a picture of them on Facebook literally today in a bath full of pickles. And I'm like, oh. you know what? That's a fucking attack on my character. Fuck you. <laughs> I love pickles too. Do you, do you enjoy picklebacks? Oh God, that's the only way I drink whiskey. Fuck whiskey. But if it tastes like pickle juice, I can take it. Listen, I, I am a newfound lover of peanut butter whiskey. It's that's sweet. a thing? Yes. Screwball is the company. It is, as I, when I took it, my friend said that you looked like you experienced pure joy. And that's what peanut butter whiskey is. I don't know how to feel because 
the first thing that I ever, the first thing I ever got fucked up on was Fireball, which is yeah. cinnamon whiskey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like, and I got real because at that point I had never drank really, and I didn't know what alcohol did to you, and so I was just taking shot after shot after shot, and from that point on, like the smell of any whiskey gets okay, me nauseous. Funny. So I can do it with a pickleback because that pickle juice is so sweet but so yep. sour, and it just goes. It makes everything go down easy, but it's true. I got to plug my nose with, for the whiskey part. <laughs> Next up, we got Squealia. Squealia. Um, Squealia, again, makeup artist of, of, of DC. Like, you want a good, you want to just like amazing look, just take a look at their Instagram page. Yeah. Uh, the negative thing I'll say about Squealia is I'm pretty sure they're in the FBI. And I'm pretty sure Ooh. that they're, the FBI agent in my phone. So Squealia, stop looking at my Pornhub browsers. They're not that interesting, okay? Nice. They're, inter- they're interesting. I like, yeah. I, yeah. We don't even get into the type of porn that I watch. <laughs> no, but... no. Finally, we have to end with cake. I knew you were going to bring cake up. Um, cake is the you know, the, the yin to my yang. Uh, I, I love, I, I have a long-standing relationship before drag with cake. Um, when I knew them as John, mm-hmm. a simple human name. Uh, and, you know, we have been through the ups and downs of friendship. And I have, I don't think I've ever, I just love them so goddamn much. Um, they are, uh, yeah everything that at that we do together we've collaborated on a few other things they've been so fun the one negative thing i will say about cake and she will say this about herself she tends to have a fucking meltdown pre anything that we do (laughs) so for example we made this video called go bananas literally us just being ridiculously weird and drag and she had left her she had this big like massive pad suit thing that she finally Mm -hmm. invested in because it's easier than having to put pads in. Absolutely. And she left it somewhere like in Virginia beach or something. And so we were like figuring out what to do. So we ended up cutting her new pads that night. Oh no. <laughs> Reshaping them all. We made them bigger than they were before. So she had this ass, like you would the thickest <laughs> ass in the fucking West East of the Mississippi. I'm like, where are we? East <laughs> of the Mississippi. Uh, so yeah, no, she's amazing. I am so happy to be collaborating with her on a bunch of stuff and to just have her as a fucking friend to talk to. Absolutely. Yeah. I think I met cake when I came down for DC pride 2019. Yeah. Okay. Um, That was, I had just moved to DC. That was like my first month. Seraphim and I visited from New York, stayed with. um, Were we in the same house then? Is it possible? It's very possible. Did you, did you, before the actual parade, we went to Brat's house. Mm -hmm, I was there. Yeah. yeah. Okay, we were in the yeah. same place. No, I was I was very much like I don't know anybody here. This feels weird and oh, me too. neither um Scout or Seraphim were helping me out here. So this is strange. Yeah. It was still fun. Um, yeah, no, it was fun, but like yeah, John was one of the nice, friendly people who was like, Okay, you're cool. Um The friendliest yeah. that I have never seen someone be able to make genuine friendships as quickly as as John can. Um, and, and that is who they are. They are just a genuine person who connects with people. Um, and, and not a lot of people are like that. Nope. Not at all. Beautiful thing to watch. 
if you were on the drag race, uh-huh. who would you pick to do for Snatch Game? Who would I pick to do for Snatch Game? Um, God, uh, I think, I feel like, I mean, I would never want to do this person because I they're the worst ever but i do an okay trump impression surprisingly okay. like in terms of the voice um but i don't i wouldn't do it because i just like i have no desire to bring that human back into to speak the name i agree um, i think i think we're done yeah we are we are officially done we have been done for a while but now we are like bitch bye i agree um, yeah i don't know i haven't thought a lot i mean i don't it's weird because most of my impressionistic, whatever the fucking word, impressionistic, I don't know, whatever that Impersonations. Word is. Impersonations are all cartoon <laughs> characters. Yeah. And I, get, I don't think that's allowed. I think you have yeah. to be like a human. Right. Which is hard for me. <laughs> so, that's fair. I mean, Gigi Good was a robot, so maybe not. Who knows? I, I feel like if I did go on, if I ever did and I did a Snatch Game, I would just do a cartoon character and be like, I understand that I'm going to lose, but this is what I do. <laughs> so. Yeah. Okay, so you've fallen down a rabbit hole on YouTube. What are you watching? Uh, I <laughs> literally right now I am watching uh, videos behind the scenes of Taman, my favorite K-pop artist, and his weird interactions with his other co co-stars uh, uh, on his uh, on his little boy group. So yeah, that's that's just real. That's nice. That's that's an honest confession. <laughs> now, if you had to pick one DC drag artist mm-hmm. be your partner on the amazing race who would it be on the amazing race um mm. you don't have to be in drag for it okay so they are your partner that's fair um honestly i think i would pick cake because yeah. cake knows everything and also um like I have witnessed a couple moments where they have been forced to get athletic and I'm like, we would make a good athletic team and we would, I think we'd go far. Nice. We, might have a, we might have a breakdown somewhere. <laughs> but hey, Maybe that's the, that's an application to work on. But we'd, but we would, we'd pick it back up and, uh, and I think we would fucking crush people. <laughs> I love that. We're going to move into the pop five rapid fire where I'm going to give you five pop culture headline stories, things. You'll give me a word, phrase, story, whatever you want to talk about for each. Number one, we will start with Dolly Parton helped fund Moderna's COVID vaccine. Like super supportive of that effort. Also, when you have the money, that's what you should be doing. So thank you, Dolly, for leading the way. Now everyone else follow fucking suit. Exactly. Number two. PS5. I mean, I follow a couple streamers on uh, uh, on Instagram, and I, I've heard that it is like the worst launch of all time. Like, oh no! Yeah, because I like apparently there's no new games, um, a lot of bugs that have happened that are crippling the systems, and it costs a fucking half grand. Like, <laughs> can we get a break somewhere? Well, not right, a real yes. break. We're getting real breaks. The thing's right. actually breaking. Um, no, I see. I kept seeing people on uh, Instagram like posting their new PS5. I was like, "You have not been working. Where did you get that money for that thing?" Like, like, and it's not. I was like, "Whatever about that." I'm just like, "Y'all, this shit is this shit is expensive for no yeah. fucking benefit." 
Yeah. Number three is the new SpaceX mission. <laughs> I laugh because anytime I hear Space Force mentioned, I just think of the TV show that I watched. Right. Yeah, I, I only got through one episode. I didn't continue on beyond that first episode. It's but. it's funny. It's weird because like it's a role that I never seen Steve Carell in. Yeah. And it's not exactly like when you see Steve Carell, you're like, oh, Michael Scott. And it's very not that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, listen, I think like, I'm a, I'm a big fan of like, I watch Ancient Aliens, okay? Like I, I'm, I'm, into, I'm into the idea that we are going to have to probably expand past our planet. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I agree, like, well, sure, put some, put some time, put some energy into that. At the same time, as someone who works in the government, there are other things that we should be funding in this country yeah. that could help out a few more people than the Space Force. That's all I'll say on that. <laughs> That's fair. Now, when the aliens do arrive and they see Heller, what are they going to say? Oh, they're going to be like, you're one of us. Like, <laughs> we don't even need to show you. To, we don't need you to show us your leader because you <laughs> are that. Yes, I love that. Okay, number four. Twitter introduces the fleet feature. I have no idea what that is. So Twitter has rolled out their version of the Instagram story, the Facebook story, called oh. and, 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 has, and has called it Fleet. Oh well. Um, so I'm not a. I, know, I do have a Twitter, uh, but my like not drag. I just have like a regular Twitter that I basically only use for my OnlyFans subscriptions. And uh, but I will say, Twitter, you're behind the fucking curve. Like Snapchat beat you to it. First yeah. of all, I mean, Snapchat um, was like the original. Right. Uh, I think most gay community people said fleet. That's what you're going to call it. Yeah. Well, we all know what. F- yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. have I ever used fleet? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was like, I was like, what gay in the, the, the meeting said, yeah, go with that as the, that, as the name. No, you know what that shows you is they didn't have anybody there. The diversity <laughs> is lacking in the Twitter corporate that, because there you go. one, it takes one gay person to be like, hi, no. my name's, my name's Stanley. And <laughs> I just wanted to let you know, we should not use that as our name because that's what people <laughs> stick in their ass. Yep. Okay. That's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> Number five, the Mandalorian season two. I am I am consciously objecting because uh, the actress that play that is going to play Ahsoka um, mm-hmm. has had some very transphobic uh, actions. Um, there is some some evidence that shows some violent transphobia uh, in their past, and there has been no reconciliation for it. And I just can't support that. I can't. And as much as I loved season one and I watched all the behind the scenes and I loved the way that mm-hmm. they had multiple directors do it. And I loved the, the technology that they're using to create this. Um, I also know that the main actor who played, who's playing the, the, the Mandalorian character um, walked off the set halfway through production because he wanted more face time, which is like that goes against the entire plot. Uh, mm-hmm. but, but so I know there's drama on, on the front. Uh, and, and I simply just can't, I, I think like, I, I'm hoping that Disney found out about the transphobia after production. Um, because I just don't understand how 
anyone could read these things that have substantial evidence behind them and go, yeah, we should still have this person on board. Which sucks because I love, yeah. I love the character of Ahsoka. I've, I've watched all of Clone Wars. Right. That character is so fun and it challenges everything about the Star Wars universe. Uh, it's just an unfortunate, uh, it's unfortunate the actress behind that is, 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 is an abuser. Well, maybe things will change. I mean, Baby Yoda got some heat last week with the egg eating, so. Yeah, well, Baby Yoda, I was against Baby Yoda at first because I thought it was a uh, a marketing ploy. And then I actually watched the show and I was like, I can kind of get on board with yeah. Baby Yoda. Well, that's the thing. It's like, I was like, this is a marketing ploy. Where's the merch? You should have had that ready to roll out. They didn't expect it to blow up the way it did. It it blew the fuck up after but that yeah, first I, season. Uh, I, I would say I'm a mediocre Star Wars fan, but okay. the, the the big reveal on episode one of season two was quite cool. What was it? I don't even know. Okay, you can tell me. I'm not going to watch If you it. watch the show and don't haven't seen it yet, spoiler go alert. Away, go away. The spoiler alert. Boba Fett's not dead. That makes me sad. 35 years, he's still alive. (laughs) Not because I want Boba Fett to be dead, but because this is a constant fucking theme of fucking Star Wars Disney as they go, oh, guys, uh, we need to find something that we can reinvigorate the old fans with. Let's bring fucking Palpatine back and just destroy the entire Darth Vader fucking storyline, but whatever. Like Yeah, so the, the episode was Mando um searching for his people, uh-huh. um, goes to this planet, sees the the um someone wearing the uh Boba Fett outfit. Yeah. yeah. N- ends up buying it off of him at the end of it and then as he flies off you see the actor who voices Boba Fett watching him fly off and you So did they him. explain how the fuck he got out of the pit? Not yet. We haven't been there yet. We haven't gotten there yet. This is a for those of you listening, the eye roll that I'm giving is the <laughs> strongest possible. Yeah, it's it, it, it's going to be some interesting. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. So we we met some other um, Mandalorians who are not as radical. More people from Clone Wars, so yeah, yeah it's yeah, going to yeah. be interesting. So I have my previous guest ask my current guest a question, and this is a question from Bambi. Okay, what has been the best part of your 2020? I have to like go back and try to think of everything that's happened. Right. Um, I mean, we talked about it before, but I, I would say the the best moment was probably that the sponge bath show. Cause that, you know, that was right before everything shut down and it was like when you have a vision for something and it's kind of crazy and people buy in and they give their all and then it ends up exceeding your expectations and you can just kind of like take a drink afterwards and sit on the stage and just go holy shit we did that shit yeah you know so that was probably the best moment that's awesome well now's your chance to ask my next guest a question okay um are your all your guests drag people or are they just uh, most of the players? time? But yeah, the next okay. guest will be a, a drag artist. Okay, so I will ask the next guest. Um, what's the most painful thing that's ever happened to you in drag? Physically oh. painful. Oh, I love this. This is gonna be a fun one. Yeah. Well, where can we find you on social media and Venmo? 
Uh, so all my handles are the same. It is Heller, H-E-L-L-U-R-R, 404, like the error 404, mm-hmm. because I am an error, and but a good kind of error. Uh, so that's Instagram, Venmo, Cash App. Uh, and then my podcast has a new Instagram page called On Sundays We Serve. So if you look up On Sundays We Serve, you can see all the, the latest that we're doing with the people that we're interviewing uh and yeah we it's same same as you it's on everywhere you can find uh any, everywhere you can find podcasts sunday service with cake and Huller. um so yeah that's that's i guess that's pretty much everywhere you can find me you can also find me at coast guard headquarters uh if you want to look me up professionally <laughs> <laughs> well this was an absolute pleasure thank you for coming on thank you for having me i had a blast and i, I it was super fun and i'm excited to see the other interviews that you do co- going forward so Thanks for doing this. Thank you. The biggest thanks to Heller for coming on. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, and leave us a review while you're there. If you have any questions or comments, drop me a line at theaterthenow.com via our question link. Like, listen, love. Until next time, I'm Michael Block, and that was Block Talk. <laughs>